John 11 is where we're going to be focused on today, this morning. So if you want to, go ahead and turn to John 11. And we continue our series of how Jesus talked to people. And specifically, the topic with, as we look at Mary and Martha, is how did Jesus talk to or relate to those who are sad for various reasons? And we'll talk about some some of that uh, this morning. And you know, I'll just say this, I may repeat it later in my my, uh, discussion. 2020 has been challenging. Has it not? And there's been, uh, you know, for a multitude of reasons, but there's just been a lot of sadness this year. And so I really thought this lesson was applicable just given the, the environment that we, not just as a congregation, but we as a people in our society are, are dealing with. And so uh, I hope that this lesson comes across uh, beneficial to you, uh, meaningful to you, and gives you some takeaways, some lessons that you can walk out of here uh, with maybe a, a better understanding of how to approach those who are sad. And, and I'm just going to be—I'm just going to be upfront. It's not natural for me. So this was a very difficult lesson for me to, to put together, and it's even a, a difficult lesson for me to present because that's just, there's parts of my personality that it's just not natural for me. And for y'all as well, it may not be natural uh, or it may not come easy to know exactly what to say or what to do for people who are saddened, okay? So with, with that in mind, I, I do want to go ahead and look at or refresh our minds of what some of the key principles that we want to remember as we're going through here. Again, Jesus was always prepared to teach, and even though he is with Martha and Mary and he is comforting them, he is teaching them some key concepts, some, some key things with regard to the kingdom. Uh, And so we'll look at that in in a little bit of detail later this morning. Again, different approaches are are needed uh, on how we interact with people. And we see this very, very well here in this lesson with Mary and Martha. Uh, Because there's obviously a very close relationship that Jesus has with Martha, with Mary, with Lazarus. And that comes to light as he interacts with Martha and Mary. And then again, to the the point that we've made several times, when we teach how we interact with people, there always needs to be a basis for God's word in how we respond and how we talk to people. Uh, Whether it is... Uh, an evangelistic approach if we're talking to them about the gospel or if we're just plain talking to people. Um, And so we see that come to light in this lesson as well. And then our conversation, how we interact, must always be rooted in love and compassion for others 
And man, we see this in today's lesson with Jesus and how he responds to Martha and and Mary. So with that said, I want to look at the context. And I may be having, I'm still low on battery, David, but I know you just changed it. But anyway, we'll try to get through it. So I may need you to like manually advance the slides. So let's look at the historical context. If you just go back a chapter to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 22, the Jews basically attempt to stone Jesus. Well, well why? why? Why was, what was, what were they doing? So to get the times in, in your mind, uh, let's start with, just go with the verse 22. The Feast of Dedication is taking place. Now you're thinking, what is the Feast of Dedication? Well, it, because it's not mentioned in the Law of Moses. It was actually something that began much later. In fact, just a couple of hundred years before the time of Christ. We know the feast today as Hanukkah. So it's winter. It's in the month of December. Uh, and it was really a feast that uh, celebrated the rededication of the temple it was started by Judas Maccabeus, you may have uh, recognized that, that name, around 164 B.C. when the city of Jerusalem, when the Jews over, uh, retook the city of Jerusalem from the Syrians. But be that as it may, it, is a, it's a, it was a, a common feast uh, held by the Jews in the first century. And so... This is the time frame that we're in. So it's December, it's winter. So just to give you a perspective, we've got basically another three months before Jesus goes to the cross. So we're in the last approximately three-month period of Jesus' life. And the Jews are gathering around him and want him to just speak plainly. Are you the Christ? Now, there's a reason why I'm going into this, because I want you to notice two things he says, and that is, you know, I told you, you don't believe. And then he says in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. Now, when we get over to John 11, and we talk about how Jesus deals with Martha and Mary... What's the, a, a theme that he mentions in his conversation with Martha? It's eternal life. It's resurrection. Uh, and so I just wanted to bear that out. So, you know, I give them eternal life, verse 28. Uh, and verse 29 and 30, that's what he, he, he basically tells the Jews, I and the Father are one. You want to know that I am the Christ? I am the Christ. I and the Father are one. And what do they begin to do? They want to stone him, right? So they they have this preconceived idea of what the Christ is, but it's not, but Jesus is not their preconceived, he doesn't fit their preconceived idea. And so they want to stone him. The concept of them wanting to stone him comes up when we get into John 11. So that's why I wanted to bring mention of that to you. So, moving on, the the next part 
uh, I guess the, the background is Lazarus becomes ill. And this is John 11, verse 1. You can look at verses 1 through 3. Lazarus becomes ill, uh, and so Martha and Mary sin for Jesus. Uh, because what happens is when the Jews begin to stone or try to stone Jesus, Jesus escapes and then goes back into the country across the Jordan into what is believed to be Perea, and that's where he apparently is. Martha and Mary, who are in uh, Bethany, go to send for Jesus because Lazarus is ill. So, who are Martha and Mary? Well, Martha and Mary are introduced back in Luke chapter 10. And if you recall, in Luke chapter 10, they, uh, Jesus and his disciples are traveling along. He entered a certain village in chapter 10, verse 38 of Luke. He entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. So this is where we are introduced to Martha and Mary. Uh, and, and so uh, this sort of, this is the same Martha and Mary that we're studying in John 11. And I, I'm just going to say this. This is a digression. But while I'm here and talking about Martha and Mary, I'm just going to say this. You know, we sometimes look at Martha and Mary and we, in Luke chapter 10, and we praise Mary and we condemn Martha. A closer context of the passage would probably lend to say that we're a little bit too harsh on Martha. And so we just, I just wanted to throw that out since I'm here, since we're talking about Martha and Mary, because when you get to John 11, we see Martha fully dedicated to Jesus, and we see the confession that she makes here in John 11. We'll talk more about that in, in just a minute. So, when, uh, so the same Mary, to make a connection going back to John 11, notice that. John then makes a connection to this Mary, and this Mary is the one who wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And that actually occurs in John 12. So John is trying to make sure that we understand, his reader, understand who this Martha and this Mary are. In any event, Jesus deeply loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We see in verse 3 uh, where the sisters send for Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. In verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So there was a deep connection, a deep relationship, a closeness, if you will, that... Um, that existed between Jesus and these three individuals. And so, just to, to keep that in the back of our mind. But what's also interesting is when Jesus hears of Lazarus's illness, 
what does he do? Does he immediately get up and run to Lazarus' side? He doesn't. He waits. There's a period of time that he waits. And we see that he waits a couple of days. Notice in verse 6, when therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. I'm going to make a side comment here. You know, I'm known for my little comments that I sort of zing in. You know, there are times when it's appropriate to immediately react, and there are times when it's prudent to wait, to pause before we react or to respond. And so, you know, I thought of, just turn briefly with me to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. And then when you, even thinking of Ecclesiastes 3, 1, uh, where uh, Solomon talks about, you know, there's a time and a place for everything, every good thing under the sun or everything under the sun and I'm paraphrasing that but I think it's just important that we take a step back and look at Jesus's example that he just didn't immediately respond now he had a greater purpose in mind and we see what that purpose is later in the chapter but again there are times when we need to think bigger picture and then respond to that. There's a phrase that we use at work um, when we're thinking of taking action that we need to be planful and we need to be deliberate. And that just is a phrase that we use at work to, to make sure that we have our I's dotted, our T's crossed, that we have thought through something before we take action. And so, We need to be that planful and deliberate. There are times to react immediately, and there are times when we don't need to do that. So, but then go back to John 11, when Jesus knows that he's dead and wants to uh, go to Judea. Notice the disciples, their reaction, and they said, Rabbi, in verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? So again, the disciples don't see the bigger picture. Jesus does. And so they reference this event back in John 10 about the Jews' attempt to stone him. And so uh, Jesus says, no, we must go. He explains to them in verse 14, because he's got to spell it out, he's got to be plain, Lazarus is dead, and so we need to go. Uh, And I find it interesting in verse 16, where Thomas says to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So again, the disciples, you know, in this case it's Thomas, 
you know, if the Jews decide to stone us, decide to stone Jesus, we're ready to die for you. What happens in three months? They scatter like sheep, don't they? So, anyway, I thought that was an interesting observation. So let's go and then look at the conversation that happens between Martha and the conversation that happens between Mary and then some um, post, I guess, conversation that happens actually at, at the tomb. I want to go ahead for now and read verses 17 through 35 to, to look at the conversation itself. So, beginning in verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary still sat in the house. Martha, therefore, said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And when she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she arose quickly and, she, and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews then, who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had, not, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also came with her, also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled, and said, to, and said Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. What I want to do, and when you look at the passage, Jesus interacts with Martha and Mary in a very unique way. And so for, to help you understand what I'm talking about is I want to talk about two important terms. One is sympathy and one is empathy, and they are drastically different. Okay? Sympathy is really uh, showing or uh, expressing feelings of pity or sorrow for someone else's mis misfortune. It's very easy to be sympathetic. We often get these two terms confused. Empathy, however, is a much harder expression, a much, a much harder feeling to show and to express. It is really an ability to understand 
and share the feelings of another. In other words, you can easily imagine yourself in the other person's position. It requires perspective taking, in other words. Okay, does that make sense? You actually can put yourself in the other person's position who was sad. That's very challenging to do. Very hard for me to do. But what I feel like Jesus is showing us is that it's extremely important to be empathetic in order to, to appropriately comfort, in order to have, um, to, to, to show them, the other person, how much you deeply care. And so I want to go ahead and describe to you or maybe explain to you via some examples of empathy because it is a very hard concept to even describe and to, to do. So I've got three different examples, and they're up here. One is illness. So you have maybe a, a friend. I'm just going to show throw out some examples. You have a friend who is very ill. You, however, have a multitude of things going on in your life. You have children who may be needing to go and run around all these extracurricular activities. You may be swamped at work. You may have a business trip coming up. You may have all these things that you have got to get done. You may be going out of town. You have got to get these things done. But empathy and action requires that you put your concerns, your schedule aside and focus on the needs of the other person because you understand what that other person is going through. And so you put the needs of the other person above yours and you may say, this person is very ill, I need to fix a meal for them. I need to go run an errand for them. I need to take them to the doctor. But you are putting your needs aside. That is empathy in action. I can't think of a better passage than Philippians 2, 3 to describe empathy. It is... Uh, where you're considering the other person more important than yourself. That's empathy in action. Think about relationship issues. You and a friend may be going through a tough spot. And so you are seeing... Are you, you share concern about a friend who's going through a relationship issue. Let me, let me rephrase that. So being empathetic requires you to reserve judgment, to set aside your personal feelings, and focus on the feelings of the other person instead. Empathy requires listening. A listening to uh, learn. A, learn, uh, a listening to understand 
versus a listening to respond. So often when we hear somebody talk, what are we trying to do? We're thinking about what we're, gonna about, we're about to say, aren't we? But true listening is listening to what the other person is saying. That is empathy. And I couldn't help but think of James 1.19, where what do we want to do? We want to listen, and then we speak later. So that is a way of showing empathy, where we are truly listening to the other person. And, and you know... Uh, you know, there are times when we may need to respond to that person, but so often that person who is undergoing some emotional pain because of a bad relationship or something may just need an emotional hug, may not need anybody to say anything. And then, uh, you know, the passing of a loved one or passing of a friend also uh, requires empathy. And so it is... Emotional empathy would suggest that you are experiencing the pain of that loss, just like the person who actually suffered the loss. And I thought of Romans twelve fifteen, weep with those who weep. And don't what what do we see here that Jesus is doing? He is showing that uh, empathy, that emotional empathy, where he is overcome with grief. So we need to be able to share, be able to show, be able to understand the perspective of the other person who is going through that difficulty. That is what we see here um, in what Jesus is, is doing. And so let's look at specifically the conversation with Martha, between Martha and Jesus, starting, I'll say, in verse 21. In verse 21, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So on the outset, Martha acknowledges that Jesus had the power to heal her brother. That was probably the reason why Martha and Mary even sent for Jesus in the first place when Lazarus was ill. But do you notice anything else about what Martha said? You notice anything unique? Maybe it's not unique because we all do it. If. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the if game, what I call the if game. We, we think of all these other possibilities that if this hadn't happened, then this wouldn't have happened. You know, my brother wouldn't have fallen sick. My brother wouldn't have died. We think about these if possibilities. And so we try to, I guess, presuppose all these different events that could have happened. It's human nature, okay? We think of, well, if I just, you know... Hadn't have been here at this time, I wouldn't have gotten in the wreck. Okay? In an automobile accident. The second thing you notice, anything else? Who's she talking to? 
God, right? How often do we, when difficulties come, and you, you, know, you hear about people going through immense trials, who do they want to blame? God, right? So here, Martha is exhibiting very human, very natural responses. She plays the if game, and then she, in short, basically, even though she recognizes Jesus' power to, to heal and to save, there is a, well, Jesus, if you had come, he would be here. Isn't that a type of shifting the blame over? But Jesus doesn't even address that, does, does he? He doesn't even go there in the conversation. He focuses rather on what he is about to do. He is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, something that will glorify God and that's his focus. You know, sometimes when people want to go down the pity path, we don't need to go there with them. And so one of the ways that we can show empathy is to divert their attention to other things. And in this case, Jesus diverts her attention to things that he's going to do for the glory of God. And so here, he focuses on the fact that I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so, you know, Martha, believing that he's talking about, or she believes in the resurrection at the end, but Jesus is focused on the fact that he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but that he truly is the resurrection and the life, that he does have the ability to give eternal life to everyone. And then notice there is a connection between what he's just said, because in verse 26, he turns to Martha and says, do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ. So Martha makes a connection between the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and life and the fact that he is the Christ. Now, and, and so... What Jesus is saying is, I'm the resurrection, I'm, the, I'm the, the life, trust me. Trust me. And notice also, well, I'll, I'll wait till I get to, uh, to verse 40. Martha leaves, Martha leaves and go tells Mary that Jesus has come. So Mary gets up and goes to see Jesus. And what does Mary do? 
Doesn't Mary do the exact same thing that Martha did? She plays the F game. If only you had been here, my brother would not have died. What does Jesus do? He doesn't go there with her. In verse 33, Jesus therefore sees her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit. And verse 34, he says, where have you laid him? He's now, he's now focused on the bigger picture and wants to go to the grave. And what does he do? He weeps. Now, let me just stop here and say, Jesus knows what is going to happen. Right? Jesus knows that Lazarus is about to walk, is about to get up and walk. But he's still weeping. Because he understands the feeling that Martha and Mary are having. Even though he has knows the big picture and knows that all will be well in the end, he still is able to put himself in the perspective of Martha and Mary and is able and weeps with them. He understands their hurt, their pain. And even though they may recognize the fact that there is a resurrection coming, because Martha even says, he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, verse 24. There is still a physical pain, a physical loss that they are suffering and they are crying and Jesus weeps with them. And we need to understand that. We need to understand that when people go through various losses and various hurts that... They may know that it, it will all work out okay in the end. But telling them that isn't really what they want to hear. They want a friend who can empathize with them and can understand their perspective. And Jesus does that beautifully. He weeps. And so, in verse 36, um, in verse 36, the Jews are even saying, Behold, how he loved him. But some of them said, could, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man from dying? See, they're thinking the same thing. If he had only been here... Notice what Jesus does. Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Jesus is overcome with grief. He's walking to the tomb, and he is overcome with grief. And instructs that the stone be uh, removed, rolled away. And notice in verse 39, what does Martha do? <laughs> Martha says, oh, no, 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 no. 
It's gonna be way there's the stench. I mean, my brother's been dead for four days. It's gonna really stink when you open that, when you unseal the tomb. But notice what Jesus says. Did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Now, I don't know when Jesus in, told this to Mary because it's not part of the conversation that Martha and Mary, Martha and Jesus have between verses 21 to, say, 27. But apparently this, this part of the conversation existed, and we just see it uh, recounted in verse 40. And so Jesus says, you know, did I not tell you? If you believe... You will see the glory of God. And Martha even indicated, I believe that you're the Christ. You have the power to raise from the dead. And so in verse 36, excuse me, excuse me, in verse 41, the stone is removed. Jesus raises his eyes, prays to God, and instructs Lazarus to come forth. And he comes forth. Uh, and Jesus instructs those men to unbind him and to let him free, to let him go. And what was the result of Jesus' actions? Many believed. So Jesus had this greater purpose in mind to raise Lazarus from the dead, to indicate his power over death, and through this miracle, then there is uh, a, a number, a, a great number, who, are, uh, who believe in him. It's also interesting, I'll just make this aside, I, I think I talked about this when I was teaching John about a year and a half ago, that this really is the catalyst that gets the Jews moving toward the crucifixion. But with regard to this lesson, notice that the power of Jesus' empathy served a great purpose. It shows his humanity, and it also gives us an example. And so those were some lessons that I want to just walk away with, some lessons learned. If we are empathetic, we can help our Brothers, we can help those that we know in the community get away from the if game. The blame game, if you will. Empathy really is a physical demonstration of the love that we ought to have for one another, for those who are saddened. And then empathy also is active. It's not just a feeling. It's not an expression of feeling. But empathy is also an action, like love is an action, where we can provide support, encouragement, and comfort to those who are saddened for whatever reason that they are saddened. I've done all the talking any any comments or thoughts?
Big now, forever hold your peace. Okay. I'll give you back about five minutes extra, and then we'll pick up with our assembly at 1030.